0: welcome back to the middle of culture i'm one of your co-hosts peter
1: and i'm your other co-host eden eden how the heck have you been i've been busy the last couple of weeks yeah yeah actually work or other stuff This, that, all of the above. Nice. You know, trying to stay busy. Um, Work has been a mess lately, but it is what it is. Um, (laughs) And also, my primary social media network is literally dying. So, trying to figure out a new social media home for this kid is an adventure. So, what is
0: your primary... Is it Twitter still? I'm
1: a Twitter person. Yeah, I'm a Twitter person. And uh, I don't know... Yeah, Elon
0: is just driving that ship straight into the buried reef, isn't he? Yeah,
1: did you hear about what happened this weekend?
0: Oh yeah, the The you can't see anything if you're not logged in, and if you're not, quote, verified, which means, you know, the sucker who pays him for your blue check mark. you can only see, what, 600 tweets 600, a day
1: or something? 600 posts a day, yep. And it wasn't yeah, loading and then, right, and... Well,
0: so did you hear why it wasn't loading right?
1: I heard about how they didn't pay their Google bill and we're trying to get their stuff off the Google servers, which was a big part of it.
0: No. So the main part of it is Twitter is being run so catastrophically incompetently at this point that they DDoSed themselves.
1: Oh yes, I did.
0: I did read about this. So, you know, I was listening to, there were some developers who were looking at this and realizing that the scroll bar in the side of their browser was flickering. Mm -hmm. And so they went and they checked the network traffic and something was set up on the back end where it couldn't log in, but then it was trying to log in and it was doing this hundreds of times a second and so there were just, there was so much traffic trying to go to Twitter because of some of these stupid changes where things hadn't been set up correctly, that basically browsers were just making hundreds and thousands of requests to Twitter that it just couldn't keep up with. Jesus.
1: So. This, is what, this is what happens when you fire, you know, seven eighths of the company and run it on less than a skeleton crew.
0: Well, yeah, it is. I I guess I just take comfort in the fact that for me, uh, I never truly understood Twitter. It just never quite clicked with me. It's not that I didn't understand it, but it never, it never clicked with me to the point that it became a regular part of my social media experience. Mm-hmm. Twitter was one of those things that like once every couple of weeks, I'd be like, Oh, I'll pop open Twitter and I'll check it out. And so, uh, I, I have since deleted all Twitter apps from my devices, uh, just because I think Elon's a piece of shit, but, I mean, um, fair. you know, but I, and I never really used it. So I haven't felt the sting of that social media. The one that is kind of killing me a little bit is I was a daily user of the uh, Reddit app Apollo.
1: Oh, you got, you got burnt by the Apollo death.
0: Yeah, with good old Steve Huffman over there at Reddit uh, taking cues from Elon and deciding that uh, the way to run a social media site is to uh, take a shit on everyone and everything there um, you know, Reddit has kind of been falling apart as well, which that's the one that bums me out.
1: So you're a Redditor, huh?
0: I mean, I'm a Reddit lurker, but I was pretty regular and looking at Reddit. And, you know, there were a bunch of subs the or, or subreddits that I followed. Um, you know, Apple-related ones, some tech-related ones, music-related ones. Um, like the Steam Deck Reddit subreddit was a great place to go. Uh, If you had a Steam Deck and you wanted to see interesting things people were doing with it, the Asus ROG Ally uh, subreddit, again, another good one for gaming stuff. And so I didn't post a whole lot, but uh, I did enjoy kind of keeping tabs on what was going on and a lot of things that I find interesting. And the Reddit official app is so horrifically bad.
1: Oh, it's garbage. It's absolute garbage.
0: Yeah, it really, really is. And so...
1: Like every third post, every third post is some fashy um, ad for the fucking military and i keep saying i keep reporting them for violence because that's what the u.s military does is inflicts violence upon the world so i keep reporting (laughs) these ads as threatening violence and then they're like okay we won't show them to you anymore and then it keeps showing them to me yeah
0: yeah so the good news i guess is that my social media consumption has diminished significantly since apollo died i guess that's Uh, so you know sad
1: but fair yeah. yeah Yeah, as a as a, a I don't know how Twitter became mine, but Twitter was mine. I think that I like, I like the function of this is two hundred and eighty characters or less, and it's anonymous in a way that things like Facebook and Instagram simply aren't. Yeah, and I really have used it extensively for a lot of years, but so now the, uh, you know, when when Elon first bought it. A bunch of people were like now's the time to migrate to mastodon Mm -hmm. uh mastodon sucks i'll just tell y'all right (laughs) now um because here's the thing about mastodon mastodon tries so hard to be the safe like no triggers social media that Mm -hmm. if you are just a regular person you will piss the Mastodon regulars off and they will like blow up in your menchies. Like Mm -hmm. you can just mention a food item without putting content warning food. And and people will get mad at you being like, this is going to trigger someone's eating disorder. And you're like, dog, if I can't fucking say that I ate a tuna sandwich without triggering your eating disorder, that's a you problem, not a me problem. Mm hmm. So, like, that is the culture that Mastodon has built. Fetid. Wretched. So, no, not so, for me.
0: So here's one thing I'm going to say. Now, what Mastodon, what server are you on?
1: I tried, like, seven. I tried seven okay. different instances, and all of them were garbage.
0: So I'm on one that I haven't seen that same problem. And uh, so I don't... Personally, I I have seen enough of that to know that, yes, you are 100% correct. I agree. That is a huge problem with the culture of Mastodon. Um, But, uh, you know, the instance that I am a member of and I'm on and then the people that I follow there, I don't tend to have much of that go on. But at the same time, um, I, again, am very much a lurker. I have not yet, and I think this is the same thing with so much social media in my personal life. I post very rarely to Instagram. I do have some cool pictures from a hike that we went on and stuff uh, last week uh, up in Mackey that I'm going to throw up at some point. But you know, I'm like on Instagram, I, I post, like I look at Instagram every day, but I post, I don't know, once a month, something like that. Um, And it was kind of the same way with uh, Mastodon and Twitter. You know, I just, I don't feel like I ever have anything meaningful to say or contribute. So I don't. That's fair. And so I think that that's why I pop open Mastodon and I'll scroll through and look at things eh, maybe two, three times a week uh, and see if there's anything interesting. But it definitely hasn't. It has problems. It has significant problems that need to be overcome. And and I'm curious to see what is going to happen with the imminent release of Instagram threads.
1: Imminent? Uh, it's open now, bro.
0: Oh, did it? Did it drop? I, it, I knew that it I'm, was supposed to be coming,
1: but I hadn't. It came out two hours ago. And I, I, I am not going to sign up for it because here's the thing. Mark Zuckerberg, go to hell. I give you too much information <laughs> already. I have a Facebook I account. I have an Instagram account. I will not be signing up for a third service from you. Screw you. Facebook is the, the worst company on the fucking planet. No, you're getting nothing from me, Zuck. But I have seen, because here's the thing. Twitter goes down on Saturday. On Wednesday or Tuesday of last week, right before Twitter went down, Mm-hmm. i finally got a blue sky invite so i was ah, able to sign up for see blue sky. i
0: have not gotten one of those yet i signed up a while back but i haven't ever got i
1: one. got it from a friend you can't the waiting list too long the waiting list is not gonna get you on you have to wait till someone has an invite code they can send you a friend sent me an invite code so i was able i was able we were i was able to watch the twitter meltdown from blue sky which was pretty delightful i'm not gonna lie um But so I I don't like that Twitter's going down. I don't like Blue Sky. I don't like the people who run Blue Sky, but I like them better than I like meta. So if it's between threads and Blue Sky for me, it'll be Blue Sky. Um, But people on Blue Sky are signing up for threads as well and then screenshotting the sort of things that you get from threads. And here's the thing. The reason I like Twitter and I think the reason why Blue Sky is going to work for me is because everyone's unhinged everyone is just like little gremlins and that is just the way that the site works is that you're all little (laughs) gremlins saying whatever pops into your brain whether it makes sense or not and that's just how i navigate twitter and that's how my friends navigate twitter it's just a whole lot of like you know shit posting and just nonsense sure From what I'm seeing about threads so far is that it is going to be an influencers influencer site. That's
0: what I kind of think they're going for because they're like, that's where the money is. And those are the worst people. alive.
1: Mr. Beast is the worst person alive. And if I ever saw him, I would slay him in the street. Um, So (laughs) that's the sort of person who's going to be using Instagram threads. Mr. Beast, Jake, Paul, Logan Paul. So I will not be found on Instagram threads. No, sir. Well, hopefully Blue Sky works. Yeah, yeah, it's working okay so far. We'll see. We'll see. I don't know. I Really, what I need to spend more time on is Co-host, which is a blogging platform, sort of like a Tumblr, but that is extremely open source, is run by people who are actually very cool people who want to make a better thing for a better internet. So like philosophically, And practically, I should just spend more time on co-host. So
0: here we are. There you go. Well, what else have you been up to? Anything you've been checking out lately that you wanted to uh, share or uh, update us on?
1: Oh, would you like an update on Final Fantasy 16? I
0: think the listeners demand an update on Final Fantasy 16.
1: All right. Here is how I feel about Final Fantasy 16. It's a good good game, not a great game. I think that the action is really good most of the time. I think that there are problems with the storytelling in this game. And I think that it is fundamentally... an extremely misogynist story. And I don't think that they <laughs> realized that's what they were going for. I think that they were like, no, we're writing complex women. And you're like, no, you're just writing women who are either boards or bitches. Like they're either just terrible human beings who like you love to hate, or they could be replaced with a two by four and you wouldn't really know the difference, <laughs> which kind of sucks. <laughs> which yeah. kind of sucks because like, and it just reinforced to me a thing that I was already thinking earlier this year about why I think final fantasy 13 and that trilogy of games was really special. And it, it was reinforced by finishing 15 and by playing 16, both of which are games that I like fundamentally. I like both of those games. Um, I think that in everything but combat, I preferred fi- 15. I think I liked the main cast better in 15 Um, I think I like the protagonist more in 15. I like the fact that I could put my boys in little outfits because 16 does not have any outfit options. Are you kidding me? I can't change my boys' outfits? Come on. Um, But in terms of the action, in terms of the gameplay feel of fighting enemies, 16 is really, really solid. Okay. But neither of them hold a candle to 13 because they are about like... It, fundamentally, both of the main characters in fifteen and sixteen are like defenders of the status quo. Complementary in the game's language, like these are both, and, and not not necessarily in sixteen. He is a revolutionary in sixteen. He's explicitly an outlaw, but he's also like a duke or a marquess, like the child of like a mar of of a marquess, like. Mm-hmm your royalty, your, your nobility. It's hard for me to take you serious as like a man of the people when you are literally a, a noble. And obviously, I mean, I talked about 15 at length, how like it is the embodiment of that famous tweet, um, from Jackson Tyler that I probably can't find right now where he is talking, it's like a joke about him you know, talking to his therapist and being like, obviously I hate the monarchy, and the therapist says, of course, and he says, but still, when the chosen king picks up the faded blade and rides into battle, it makes me feel things, and the therapist is like, I mean, it does that for everyone, and that's how I feel about Final Fantasy 15. it's like, the chosen king sacrificed himself to save the world, that's a beautiful story, but in Final Fantasy Thirteen, you were just like an orphan lesbian who joined the military to try to pay for food for her and her little sister, and like that's such a more interesting main character to me than a prince or a Marquess. Like fundamentally, sure. I am more interested in street street rat orphan than noble, and uh, so sixteen has that problem. Um, like I say, I. I love the look of the main woman in the game, Jill. Like, her outfit is incredible. Um, the way that she looks is great. I think it's a really great performance with what she's given to work with by the voice actor, but ultimately, she just doesn't do that much in the game, and I wish she did more. I wish that it centered her more. I wish that it gave her more to do, and I can see the ways that they could have done that in the story that they give, um, and I'm really disappointed that they didn't, um, and there's just you know there's lots of the the central slavery metaphor i mean it's not a metaphor because there are actual slaves in the game but like using this as a metaphor for real life conflict and real life slavery does not work it Mm -hmm. lands like a it does not land like it, it it is an utter failure um, in terms of storytelling. And again, I can see in the world building that there's a better version of it there that they could have gone for, but it feels like they went for the more expected, safer version of it, which lands like a like a lead brick. Um, yeah. But I did enjoy my time with it. I spent 45 hours on it all told, and I'm not sad that I played it. And if someone were to come to me and say, I've never played a Final Fantasy game, Final Fantasy 16 just came out. I've got a PS5. Should I play it? I'd say, go for it. I had a good time. It's not my favorite Final Fantasy, but it is the brand new shiny one that just came out. So give it a try. Um, But yeah, in terms of the ranking, if I had to rank the ones that I've played, well, let me finish other things I've been playing and then I'll do my ranking. Because I am about two thirds or three quarters of the way through Final Fantasy Twelve. Oh, okay. Because as soon as I finished 16, I was like, hey, the love story in this game really disappointed me. What should I play next? And everyone was like, play Final Fantasy VIII. And I was like, great, I'll play Final Fantasy Eight next. And then a friend of mine was like, wait, Eden, it's far too funny that the only Final Fantasies that you've played so far are the first one and then 13, 14, 15, 16. You need mm-hmm. to play 12 next and just keep working your way backward. Which ultimately I don't think I'm actually going to do that because then it would leave Final Fantasy 2 for my last one and I don't want to leave Final Fantasy 2 for last. I'm going to leave 8 or 10, I've decided. Cuz those are those are ones that I can tell from the way people talk about them, those are going to be those are really going to work for me. I think 10 and 102 10, are probably the Final Fantasies I will leave for last in my playthrough of all the Final Fantasy games cuz I think they're going to slap. But at any rate, after my friend said that I was like Oh hell, I'll just play Final Fantasy twelve. So I started Final Fantasy Twelve. And it's pretty okay too. Again, I'm not I'm not loving it. I'm liking it. I'm not loving it. Um It the women have more agency in this one at least. I'll say that. There it it ain't well written, but the women are better written than sixteens are. Sure. <laughs> um But I do think it's interesting, you know. Uh, It's very the thing that I think is most interesting about playing Final Fantasy games is that every single one seems to look at what the previous ones have done and said, okay, um, how are we going to just toss this way of doing combat, this battle system, out and try something entirely new, building on the ideas that have maybe come before, but like in fundamentally different ways? Um, which I think is a really interesting testament to the series as a whole and why I think I'm really enjoying myself as I play all these games is that each one plays so much different than the other games in the series that I've played and not just a case of like you know 14's an MMO so obviously it's going to play differently and it's like a tab target MMO like World of Warcraft or Star Wars the Old Republic style and it's like okay yeah it is one of those games slightly slower global cooldown but like it plays like that but like 15 was mostly action, but had a lot of pausable stuff and a lot of party interaction. 16 is just an action game. You just play as Clive. 13 I've talked about at length, about the way that its active time battle system worked and you would swap between the different paradigms based on what you could tell that the bosses or the enemies were going to be doing. 12's gimmick when it comes to battle is the gambit system which I can see what they were going for, but I think it's making for a fundamentally pretty boring way to play the game. Because the gambit system essentially lets you... It, its a, It turns it into a programming game. Because you get this mm. series of gambits, and each gambit is like... You could pick a target, you can pick a thing, and then you put them in the order in which you want the game to assess these different things. So you're like... First one, if I have any ally that is at 30% health or lower, toss a potion on them. Secondly, if I have any ally, ally that has silence cast on them, toss this potion on them. Um, and then, if there's any attack whichever enemy is closest to the party leader with this attack. Or if you have the MP, then cast this spell on whichever enemy is targeting the leader, or things like that. So it's like, okay, so I can, because it's a three party or it's a three person party. So you can set up the other two people in the party with this list of, you know, programming rules for them to do. And then based on the situation, they will act optimally. The thing is, you can also do it to your active party leader. So at this point, I just walk the character in between battles and then the (laughs) game plays itself for the battles. (laughs) With very few exceptions, very few exceptions. I, there have been times when I have put down my controller and walked to the bathroom while a fight was happening and come back and it has resolved itself. So, like, <laughs> I see what they were going for, but ultimately I think if I can put the controller down and the game just plays itself for me, I think you maybe overshot how much control yeah. you gave me as a programmer. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think, I think you might be right.
1: But I'm having a pretty okay time. Uh, I didn't really like the main character at first, but he's grown on me quite a bit. Vaughn is okay. I'll like him. At least he's a street urchin. He's an orphan street urchin. We got that going for us. Um, but one of my party members is the daughter of the... You know, we still got our royalty stuff because one of my party members is the daughter of the king who was killed at the beginning of the game. And the game is basically about trying to get her back in her throne so she can, you know save her country so we'll see how that all turns out this game is these games are not letting me be as anti-monarchy as i'd like to be please
0: no no, it doesn't sound like it
1: but i'm having fun with 12 i'm sure i'll have it done by the next time we uh chat but in terms if i had to put them on a scale right now from things i've liked at least to liked it most of the ones i've played final fantasy one is a game from 1987 it's the lowest on the list and then I would say 12, 16, 15, 14, and then my favorite is the 13 trilogy. So okay. that is that is how I'm feeling right now about 12 and 16 is that I'm enjoying I've, – I've been enjoying them. But in comparison to the others that I played, they're a little lower on the list. So I'm curious sure. to see as I fill it out with some of the ones that I think I'm really going to like. I think I'm really going to like 8. I think I'm really going to like 10. I think I'm going to like 7 okay, even though I know that it's like everyone's, mo- it's the most popular one. It's the one everyone knows about and played when they were, you know, 16 on their PlayStation over the summer. I think I'm just going to like it okay, but like 9 sounds wretched to me. So I think I'm going to hate 9. So I will probably go lower on the list than 12 and 16, but we'll see when we get there.
0: Okay. Well, I look forward to hearing how these all stack up.
1: And then the last thing I'll mention I know I've been talking long, but. You're good. Um, the last thing I will mention is this last Sunday, uh, a thing we've talked about on the podcast before wrapped up, uh, mobile suit Gundam, the witch from Mercury aired its final episode this last Sunday. And it sure seems like it was the end of season one, but I think it's only going to get the one twenty-four episode season. It sure feels like it said at the end, thus ends the story of the witch from Mercury. And mm. so I don't think we're going to get a sequel series in this setting, but ultimately, I think I'm okay with that because it ended spectacularly. Okay. And, you know, I I won't say too much more than that um, in case anyone wants to go watch it. Um, I think it was really, really good. I think it was my favorite of the Gundam. Mm, I don't know. I really like turn A. It's a toss-up between Turn A, Gundam, and Witch for Mercury as to which Gundam show I think is my favorite is the best one, but Witch for Mercury is really high up there. It's really, really good. It gets really messy in the back half of the season. Um, They pulled the girls apart for political reasons, so there was a lot of episodes where I was like, I just want Celetta and Maria Rain to be in the same room again, so it was very joyful when they got back together, and it all ended really, really well. Um, I was very happy with how it ended, so ah nice. uh, excellent they didn't bury their gaze this time. I always love when a show doesn't bury their gaze Very good So what have you been checking out
0: um not a whole lot uh, I did have last week off from work and we went to uh, went up to Mackie and spent some time there Lissa had some friends who's a friend her husband's parents, run and own one of the little RV parks and motels. So, um, we, we went and stayed there and had a good time out in nature. Uh, one thing that I did do is I got the, uh, ASUS ROG Ally, uh, very similar to the Steam Deck. Uh, the big problem I have with it is it runs Windows which was also the same reason I got it. Mm. Basically what this was while we were out of town was it was a great little Diablo four device. You can apparently put Diablo four and everything on the steam deck. There are hoops that need to be jumped through to make it happen. One of the reasons the steam deck is as nice as it is in my opinion is because it runs Steam in big picture mode all the time. You can exit to a desktop. You can fiddle around with a file browser. It is Linux ass Linux, if you've Mm -hmm. ever dicked around with Linux. And it's great that you can do that. But uh, I didn't feel like wasting my time and energy getting Diablo 4 playable on that. Uh, but because the Asus Rog Ally is just running Windows, uh, Diablo, you know, you just install Battle.net and Diablo Four plays great. And it played really well on it. So I've been mostly playing Diablo Four, completed the main story as my sorcerer, and then have gone around the world unlocking some of the altars of Lilith and things that kind of give you bonuses, and then have rolled up uh, a rogue and a barbarian and a necromancer. And I've gotten all of those only up to about level 10 or so. Uh, and uh, so I'd say, you know, little Diablo four, uh, not a ton, but that's probably about the only thing I've played. Haven't really watched anything because mostly, we, well, I take that back. When we were in Mackie every night uh, after the boys Kind of went to their little part of the the motel they were in. listen and I were in the king suite, which was a separate Ooh, little building. Fancy. Um, <laughs> it was nice. It was it was quaint, uh, but they had done a. It doesn't look like much on the outside, but they had done a very nice job of restoring it and making it very nice on the inside. So it was great. It was a really nice little place. Uh, big fan would go back. It was cool, but. Uh, we would watch two, three episodes of Parks and Rec because I just, I love that show. It's delightful. And so I've watched a little of that, but there's nothing new there. And then I did, while we were out of town, uh, finally sit down and read some more of uh, The Wheel of Time book 11. I still have a long way to go, but I'm making way, my way through that. So that's kind of mostly the stuff I've been checking out other than some music, but we're going to save that and uh, jump into our main topic for the day. Now, I'm just going to put out a warning that the main topic today has the potential to perhaps get a little navel-gazy. And so if that happens, probably I'll be the one who's most guilty of that, but hey, what we're gonna talk about today is music and just music in in general or in in specific, but the reason I kind of wanted to bring this to Eden and we wanted to talk about this is one of the things that I have heard a lot online in some podcasts I listen to, even including a, a podcast that I listen to that is two kind of metal heads who will go. And, and do a deep dive into metal albums, both older and newer. But I've heard a lot lately this idea, and even read it online in some certain like psychological and sociological things, this idea that people basically... The music that you listened to as a teenager is in essence the music you're going to listen to and like the most for the rest of your life. And I have heard that and read that, and every time I do, I think, that is a load of bull. But that's for me. And so I thought it might be interesting for Eden and I to just kind of talk about, I think that you and I are, to some degree, outliers in how we approach music. Perhaps both the... Um, kind of the amount of music we listen to, but also uh, just a lot of different things in which I kind of look at it and say, no, you know, I I mean, I, I think we're different than a lot of people. If this is at all common and common enough that I've heard it multiple times, again, people don't generally like new music. People listen to what they kind of listened to growing up and that's what becomes their favorite and they stick with it. I just I don't know. I thought it'd be interesting to talk about why we like music so much, why we've had multiple episodes, just talking about music, why music is something that is such a sizable part of our lives. And then maybe, you know, how do we experience music? What is it that, you know, how do we do that? Because I think in our current, how do I put this? Mm, I'm just going to say this the all-you-can-eat streaming services, Spotify, Apple Music, whatever, I love how accessible they make new music for me. Mm -hmm. But I also think that for a lot of folks, and I think at times for me, it has made music just like a commodity. It's, It's disposable. It's... So there's so much of it, and it's so easy to have access to it. And hell, you don't even have to have any one of these things. You can just go on YouTube much of the time. And so I think that that has kind of devalued music to some degree. And I just thought it might be uh, interesting for us to kind of talk about um, why, again, kind of how we approach it and and how we feel about music in general, and and then maybe some specifics. So I don't know. Yeah, if that's completely confusing, whatever. But Eden, what are some of the thoughts you've had since I introduced this to you, uh, uh, what, two weeks ago when we wrapped up?
1: So I was curious about it. I was like, I've heard, I've heard this vaguely. I heard an NPR story about it when I was riding in the car and didn't have a better thing to listen to than NPR. I... You know, had seen it had come up in popular conversation or popular culture or conversations with people, so I wanted to look into it a little bit. And there are a few studies that have been done academically. The most recent one and the one that got a lot of press probably a year and a half ago uh, was actually published in the journal Sempre, which is the Society for Education, Music, and Psychology Research. Um, And it's entitled A Cross-Sectional Study of Reminiscence Bumps for Music-Related Memories in Adulthood. Um, And, you know...
0: That sounds fancy.
1: Props to the authors. I'm going to shout them out. Kelly Jakubowski, Thomas Arola, and Lizette Hain. They did this study. And basically what this study asserts, and it builds on work that has been done previously. This is work that has been done before, but this was a a recent article with a fairly large um, participant set of almost 500 people. Um, And basically what it comes down to is that research has revealed a consistent reminiscence bump in autobiographical memory or the disproportionate recall of memories from between ages 10 to 13 in comparison or 10 to 30 in comparison with other lifetime periods, which appears to extend to music related memories. So this is a phenomenological thing that happens to all of our memories. You know, Mm -hmm. we... The memories that are the sharpest in our brains, whether we are 18 or 82, which were the ages that they looked at for this uh, this study, the most salient memories are adolescence and early adulthood, and therefore mm-hmm. what they pause and they use this as as uh, as a way to analyze whether that's true for music as well. And it seems to be true that the, the music that people remember, the music that people feel the most excited about listening to, and that causes the most cognitive positive responses in their brains, are music that they listened to when they were teens and early 20s. Um, okay and so basically it is this and that is what these scholars are proposing is that this music works in this idea of this reminiscence bump in other words there is something about the music that brings back positive memories strong emotions that we felt when we were listening to those musical thing, those 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 music or that music i don't know why i was saying those um and so it, it is because of that that we that, – that for so many people, the uh, taste kind of crystallizes in that moment um, because that is where you have those positive interactions and those positive associations in your brain. Okay. So the question is, why didn't it happen to us? And I have a theory. Yeah, because – But do you have a th- theory? And
0: first of all – well, no. First of all, I want to just thank you for your uh, – Academic uh, inquisitiveness to go and and look that up. I was too lazy, but I'll no. also say too busy not doing work and trying to not. I mean, I didn't even take a. You know, I didn't. Uh, this is a big deal for me. I didn't take a computer with me. I mean, I took an iPad so I could uh, read, but I didn't take a computer with me. That's a big deal. Um, so yeah, I've been kind of unplugged the last couple of weeks.
1: But also, my job is literally research, so like this is what I do <laughs> for my job. So it was easy for me. It. it was easy for me to direct some of that energy when I was bored looking at iterative improvement models for higher academia for higher, higher ed. When I didn't want to look at that anymore because my brain started oozing out my, my ears, then it was like, well, let me look into why do we all think about music this way? So this is what I do for a living. Don't give me more props than I deserve.
0: (laughs) Hey, well, still, I appreciate you uh, giving some credence to, uh, or at least some, some more actual information about this thing that I've just kind of heard. So uh, I would love to hear your theory. As to why this is perhaps not how we were impacted, at least in terms of music.
1: What were we both doing online in the early two thousands? I mean, writing I music reviews school. Oh, we were writing right. music reviews. So here's why. How I did think- I forget about this? Here's why I think that this didn't happen to us because we, from a young age, when we were making those types of reminisce bumps, rem- remnants, remnants bumps memories, we were thinking critically about music. We weren't just listening to music because we liked it or because it made us feel good. We were thinking and writing critically about music. When we were creating those music habits, and therefore, I think that that contributes to why we have kept thinking about music from that critical perspective.
0: Fascinating. That's my theory. I did not even think about that. I think that's an excellent theory. I, I love that. Um, yeah. So tell me about, the, I mean, how do, you, how do you approach listening to music? Tell me a little bit about that. Something new uh, that, that sparks your interest. You hear about it, you read about it, it's recommended, something like that. Uh, how do you kind of approach that uh, that, it, that it whole experience of I am finding new music?
1: Yeah, I used to I used to spend a lot more time like reading and actively looking for new things when it comes to music. Um, but I think that I have fallen prey to the very thing you were talking about earlier, the commodification of music to a certain extent. Um, It's just so easy to pop open Spotify. And every Monday morning, Spotify looks at what I've listened to for the last however many years and extrapolates that out and says, well, this is what they've been listening to. I think these are things that they might like. Sometimes it's very wrong. Sometimes that Discover Weekly playlist is useless. (laughs) but often I will listen to my discover weekly playlist nearly every Monday. That's how I usually start my Monday mornings at work is I get to work. I start working. I start doing whatever project I'm working on. And if I'm not in meetings, I'm usually listening to my discover weekly playlist on Monday mornings. So that is often how I discover new or new to me music. Um, and to a certain extent, it kind of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because it, it, uh, recommends to you things that it thinks you're going to like based on the things that you've already shown interest in, that you've listened to multiple times or that you've added to your library. So it does tend to find things like that. However, my taste is eclectic enough and my listening, uh, you know, habits are wide enough that it still pulls a pretty wide, it casts a pretty wide net when it makes that discover weekly playlist for me and i rarely find more than one or two new you know and if i find a song that i like then it's a question of is that on an album that i like mm-hmm. because if it's just a song that i like but i don't like the rest of the album oops i forgot about it because um, i'm an album listener i always have been um i'm just not a singles person i don't have any playlists that are sure. just songs i just have albums Um, so if I find a song that I really like, then I'll go through and listen to whatever album it comes from. If that is as if I like the rest of the album in a comparable manner to the way that I like, uh, um, that song that it was, that was on the discover weekly list, then great. Then I will want to find more about that artist and like, see what else I can find and start to pick at the seams of, of the Spotify, you know, economy, regarding that artist you know go down and look at who are the similar artists that 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 they're listed as that are there associated with or you know i start and and that'll happen all week especially if i find one or two new tracks that i think are really interesting it will send me kind of down like a like a nitpick nitpicky rabbit hole for the rest of the week as i'm working as i'm like oh well i i kind of like this but let's see what else might you know cascade down from that How about Mm. you though? How do you, how do you find new music to listen to?
0: Um, you know, honestly, it is a lot of me following AngryMetalGuy.com, The is the music blog I I read the most and I've been reading it for enough years that I have a pretty good feel for which, you know, the different reviewers. And so they kind of say, they review an album and depending on what they say, I know, okay, yeah, I'm probably going to agree with them or, uh, I'm going to feel completely different from them. So I should just go ahead and check something out anyway. So I do a lot of that. Uh, There are a couple other metal blogs that I follow. And then I do habitually go in to, um, to, to like the, new release every Friday I pop open cause I, no, I'm an Apple music user and there are good things and there are bad things about that. The good thing is I'm already paying for Apple music as part of Apple one and for my whole family and blah, 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 The, one of the good things and bad things is Apple music's generated playlists are dog shit. Oh, are they? They're absolutely atrocious. So, so much so that I don't ever even bother to check them out anymore. I did for a brief period of time, subscribe to Spotify and enjoyed the, the now the, whatever the weekly, you know, the, that Monday morning playlist in so far as, as, as I continued to use Spotify, then it became meaningful. But the problem is, is I'm very much a music library type person. Sure. So I go every Saturday, every Friday morning, I go into the search tab in apple music, I scroll down until I hit the metal, pop it open. And I see what are the new releases that week. I mean, I do this every Friday. I see what new albums came out. I scroll through if there's any that I had heard about or anything like that, I'll go ahead and, you know, maybe listen to them. If I like them, they get added to the library. Sometimes I add them and then I realize I'm not listening to them. So I get rid of them, but I do. So I do try and kind of clean things out a bit, but, um, it is for me, it is a very intentional thing. Like I go and I look to see what has come out, what is available, and then I'll check it out and decide, do I add this to my library or do I pass? Um, and then I'll often uh, about every couple of weeks, I'll pop open and go to the upcoming section, and I'll go through and I'll see stuff that's coming out in the next few weeks or month uh, to potentially again add to my library. And so Spotify kind of just, it, it was too much work for me because I am so much of a, an album listener my entire music library was not in Spotify. And so it was difficult for me to use it. That's fair. Because I didn't have all that music already there.
1: That's really fair. Um, I will admit there is a lot of stuff that I loved previously that is on a hard drive or on my OneDrive somewhere. And I just haven't touched it in years because I don't have easy access to it because I don't use something like... Should I just set up a Plex server and be able to stream all my music from a Plex server? Yes. My internet's not quite fast enough. It would stream stream music fine. The thing that keeps me from setting up a Plex server is I would like to use it to stream video. And first off, I got to get fiber optic internet. And I just tried to find out the other day if we could finally, we got all these things, you know, like six months ago saying, hey, fiber optics in your area, fiber optics in your neighborhood. And I tried to go sign up for it. And they were like your house doesn't even show up on the map. And I'm like, my house is the <laughs> oldest house in this neighborhood by 60 years. So it ought to be on the map. Cause my house That's was built funny. in 1901 and the rest of this neighborhood was built in the sixties. So cow. what's going on here guys. Um, uh, but so I don't have, I don't have fast internet. So my sizable MP3 collection just kind of chills on my OneDrive, And I don't think about it very often. So I think that's why and and it's got pluses and minuses for having the, like, kind of loose listening habits that I have developed. Um, it means that I can always find something interesting. I want to listen to, but it means that I don't, I don't return to music very often these days. I simply don't.
0: Sure. I have definitely found something similar where uh, I will often add an album to my library and listen to it a time or two and then kind of get distracted because I am always looking for something new, then I may get distracted and then I forget about it. So I actually have had to make myself a couple playlists that are things that I added to my library. But if I just looked at it, I could not tell you what their music sounded like or what that music yeah. sounded like at all, just to try and and get back into some of that. But one of the problems I have is I'm looking right now just for fun. And so my library in Apple music is 45,701 songs. Christ. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, you know, it's 4,623 albums across 1,322 artists so i have a lot of music
1: that's a lot and
0: of music. it is a lot of music and so I, that's what i have in my apple music library now let's talk about some other ways in which i recognize i have issues um i went through as many of us did a significant phase in my life where i was a dirty filthy pirate and i have no problem admitting to that i pirated Tons and tons of music. When I was in medical school, when we finally got, you know, we had good internet fast enough that I could, uh, and even before then, I mean, look, I was around in the Napster heyday. I was there. I used Kazaa. I used BearShare. I used LimeWire. I did all that stuff. And eventually I got to a point where I'm fortunate enough that I could begin to buy music. And so while I frequently add music to my library through Apple Music, I also am one of those people who, if I listen to it and I'm like, okay, I like this quite a bit, I actually buy it. And I generally buy it. My first choice is always Bandcamp. So, I buy a lot of crap on Bandcamp. Sure. Perhaps an embarrassing amount. I think if I were to tell you in my Bandcamp library, I have purchased 2,564 albums on Bandcamp. And then if Bandcamp doesn't have it, I will often buy it on Koboos. So, I use Koboos. It's Kind of like Tidal or one of those lossless, uh, potentially higher res services. And you can buy from them uh, the music and you'll get it in different file formats. And, And I always just pick the lossless flag, you know, highest res, whatever. Sure. And so I'll put those. And then all of those things I put on a network attached storage. And on that NAS, I have Plex running. So I'll listen to that music through like Plex amp, which is, you know, a special, it's a, it's a M- Plex app specifically for listening to your music library. I also use Rune. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Rune. So Rune uh, you put on, so, you know, I have Rune, uh, running on my NAS, uh, and pointed at my, my music. And that's what I'll use. You know, when I'm at work on my computer or you know, something like that in my office where I've got some speakers. Don't ask me how many speakers I have in my office. Let's just say for funsies, there are four subwoofers underneath my desk in my office. Yeah. Um, Because (laughs) there's shut up. Just stop. (laughs) Don't judge me. Okay. Go ahead and judge me. I deserve it. Look, I have a PC that has a set of speakers connected to it. I have a Mac that has a set of speakers connected to it. And then I have a receiver that has a set of speakers connected to it, and that's got a turntable going to that. And then I have a pair of Sonos speakers with a sub as well. So I know, have I, I just want to make sure I can listen to everything.
1: <laughs> I have some good old-fashioned Logitech PC speakers on my desk. And if I need to plug them into something else, I unplug them from my PC and plug them into the (laughs) other thing.
0: That's what a sensible person would do, but I am not that person.
1: Also, I can't, my dogs are always sitting under my desk. If I put a little subwoofer down there, it would scare them.
0: Yeah. I don't have that problem. So (laughs) I'm safe, but I think one of the things, you know, again, like I say, I, I love to find new music, But if I really find I enjoy it, I do like to purchase it. And it's silly in this digital age because really, well, okay. Then that's when we get into the fact that I also collect vinyl because I do like having that physical aspect of music. And the thing I have, one of the things I found for me is that uh, put aside all of the, Oh, the vinyl sounds warmer, all that kind of stuff, whatever. Don't, uh, don't come at me. Don't tell me it doesn't. Don't tell me all the reasons vinyl is worse. I don't want to hear it.
1: It does though. Anyone who says that vinyl sounds worse and it doesn't sound warmer is lying to themselves.
0: I like, I love the way the vinyl sounds. I like that. It, there's something about it. Maybe it's the nostalgia of growing up with our mom listening to vinyl. You know, we had so she had so many records, but the big thing for me that I like about the vinyl is, is I like the intentionality that it requires. Especially in these days where, you know, so many records are being etched in such a way. A a perfect example would be the Yob album, Clearing the Path to Ascend. Okay. That album is four songs. It is literally one song on each side of two records. And they're granted, they're longer songs, you know, they're, close to 10 minutes plus minus, depending on the song. Still but kind basically, of a pain, though. Well, but see, when I really want to intentionally listen to music, I enjoy that. I like putting the record, putting the needle down, sitting back, listening to that one song, and then knowing I need to go, I got to flip it over. Um, so I don't know. Part of that for me, and again, that's one of the, the ways I enjoy listening to music is that intentionality, that very much... Now, look, I have music on all the time at work. It's, it can very much be a passive thing, but when I really, really want to listen to it, I like that kind of more active experience to the point that, yes, I have to get my butt out of the chair and walk over to the record player and lift up the needle and turn the record over and then put it back down. Uh, And so I think that that's one of the reasons why I get as into music as I do, because I do often get very intentional with my listening. Does that make sense?
1: It does. It does. I, I can see how the record would enhance that intentionality. I I love the sound of records, but I know that that is an expensive road that I should not walk down. You should not.
0: You are correct.
1: I, I, (laughs) I simply have enough other collections of things that that is not a thing that I need to, and with which I need to engage. I have decided that for myself, and that is like an incontrovertible rule that I have made for myself, is that I will never become a vinyl person regardless of how much I enjoy the sound, the feel, the haptic response of picking up that big old disc and, putting it onto the turntable and moving the needle over can't do it. Can't do it. Yeah. I don't blame
0: you at all. It is. I have, I definitely hit a point where I had to force myself to really say, okay, do you like this enough that it is worth it buying the vinyl? Because I admit that I found myself going through a phase where it was like everything, everything, oh, well, I want to add that to my library, so I might as well buy the vinyl. And I was letting myself fall into the trap of, you know, vinyl can be hard to come by these days. There aren't very many places that can can print those records. And so a lot of times, you know, at least in the kind of music I listen to, they're doing somewhere between 100 to a 500 record order, and then they don't know when they're going to have access to be able to, uh, to, to make another round. And yeah. so you sometimes never know. And I was letting myself fall into the trap of, Oh, well, I, I need to get it now. Cause I don't know if I'll be able to get it in the future. If I decide I want it, And I have forced myself to stop that for that very reason. It is far too easy to just be frivolous and, uh, unnecessarily, um, wasteful with, with getting records. So, yeah, you know, I, I think that that's smart <laughs> to avoid it to some degree, um, the other thing that I do find is, you know, I obviously like everybody, you know, we all use our Bluetooth earbuds now. But for me, I also, when I, if I want to listen something not on a big set of speakers in my office or down in my living room where my two record players are, um, you know, I like having a nice set of over-the-ear headphones that I plug into something. Yes, I'm that person who goes... Well, and, and, and you know this, too, because I'll never forget 2007, uh-huh. given to the rising releases. Hmm. And I remember you emphasizing to me how much better it sounded on the actual CD than the MP3s. Do you remember this? I don't. You made a big deal. You bought me that CD and sent it to me in New Hampshire, like you ordered it and and sent it to me in New Hampshire, because I remember you saying it was, I think you got it for my birthday, but I remember you saying it sounds so much better on the CD than just the MP3s. Mm -hmm. And you know, you're not wrong. It does. Now that is, if you're using, um, Something that can take advantage of that. sure. So if I'm using a pair of Bluetooth headphones, well, hey, guess what? Bluetooth to transmit the data, it is compressing it. So don't think that, you know, again, if you've got Apple music, you sit there and you look at an album and it's like, hey, we have this in Apple music lossless. If you're going to be listening on a pair of AirPods or, you know, whatever Bluetooth headphones, please do not listen to the lossless. Because it becomes lossy when it is being compressed so that it can be sent via Bluetooth to your earbuds. Yeah. It's just uh, the way it is.
1: The compression is happening regardless if you're using Bluetooth earbuds, like. Or if you're
0: using Bluetooth in your car. Like, there is a noticeable difference if I let my phone connect to my car stereo via Bluetooth versus if I plug it in via USB. Like, I can, it is an it is a not subtle difference in the quality of the music
1: a hundred percent.
0: And so, you know, that's the other thing is sometimes I just love to sit down, put on a pair of big over the ear cans, plug it into something, whether it's my phone via an external DAC, or if it is like a dedicated digital audio player that I've loaded a bunch of lossless music files on, I don't know. Again, for me, there's something about doing that, putting these headphones on, plugging it in, and then pressing play that, not to the same degree as the record, but makes it enough of a, an intentional experience that I find I personally get a lot more out of it and end up feeling a lot more connected to that music, which then those are the things that I end up coming back to time and time again. Yeah. So I don't know any other thoughts about, I really, really was, you know, was again, just thinking, and I love your idea, your thought that as we were writing those music reviews way back in the day, that at that time in our lives, that probably did, that forced us to be more critically appraising of the music we listened to. And at the same time, I think it helped us, you know, we were looking for newer music that was coming out that we could write about.
1: Mm Mm-hmm yeah, I think that was fundamentally, you know, I already talked about it. I don't need to rehash that, but like I think that was a big deal. Um, I, I just like so music. I like, I like listening to music. I like I, I feel like there is a, there's so much out there, and there's more every day. If I were to just listen to the same things I listened to when I was 20, what a waste of my time. Also, yeah. my taste also my taste was bad 20 years ago. my taste was bad. It was. (laughs) So my taste is better now. So I'm glad that I don't just listen to that anymore.
0: Well, you know, I don't know if my taste is any better. It's definitely expanded in terms of, you know, people always ask me, they're like, Oh, so did you really like this heavy stuff when you were younger? And I was like, no, 20 year old me would poop his pants. If he heard what I listened
1: to right now. (laughs) Like, hey, when we were when we were that age, we were like, whoa, Iron Maiden, this is pretty heavy stuff.
0: Yeah, I know. And don't get me wrong. I still love Iron Maiden, but Iron Maiden is heavy metal only in that that is the gen- sub-genre they have been placed into, because there is not much it's heavy not about heavy. Iron Maiden. It's not heavy.
1: <laughs> it do not I not heavy enjoy listening all. to it? Yeah, it ain't heavy.
0: No, like I say, I still love me some Maiden, but it's it's not definitely not heavy. So, you know, well, anyway, like I say, it was a little navel-gazy, but I thought that it was an interesting sort of conversation to have about our relationship with music. And, And I'm with you. I love it. I love music. I'm listening to music all the time, either passively, but also the reason I think I love music so much is that for me, at least I will take that time to, uh, to, to really, put on some headphones or put on something and focus on the music and not do anything else. Just listen to music. And I think that for a lot of people, that idea has either been lost or never really existed. That music is there to kind of fill the, the interstices of our, their lives, but it isn't a central portion. And I think that that is one of the things where you and I, you know, we're different than some other people in that, while absolutely music can fill in those interstices, it also at times is the focus. it is the activity. it is what we are engaged with fully, yeah, and I think that enhances how much you know and it's is part of the reason why we we like music as much as we do, yeah, I agree with you well, um, I think that's all we're gonna go ahead and wrap it up today. And, uh, just kind of close by thanking people who are listening again. If you, uh, enjoy this, please leave a review, uh, drop us a rating that definitely can help a, the more ratings and the more reviews that are positive. It just, it, it makes this bubble to the top. It makes it easier for other people to find it. And we appreciate that. Send us any feedback at feedback at the middle of culture.com. And until next time. Uh, you know, maybe go and uh, just, just try putting on some headphones. Doesn't matter what kind they are or put yourself in a room and listen to music and don't do anything else for a few minutes just listen to the music.
1: Just let it wash over you.
0: Just let it wash over you.